is the environmental and social impact of the fast fashion of the fa- okay, let's start again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going on. Hello everyone and welcome to our 15th episode of Sound Film from Sheffield and Malaysia. This week we are going to have a discussion about the relaxed but yet serious topic of fast fashion. This topic was suggested by Mel who was inspired by the documentary called The Shoe Cost which scrutinizes the environmental and social impact of the fast fashion industry. While it would be safe to say that neither of us are people who are particularly interested in fashion, the issues surrounding the fast fashion industry are deeply concerning and therefore warrants discussion. Hence, we will be looking to analyze subject areas such as how people respond to fashion trends, labor issues, and cotton farming, among others. As an opening, firstly, what does fast fashion mean to you, Bell? And what are your shopping habits like? Okay, so my my shopping habits. Um, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Like my shopping habits isn't the best, but isn't the worst either. So I think I've succumbed to fast fashion recently. I think since I started studying in the UK, maybe because my parents aren't there to stop me. <laughs> um, meaning I buy cheap and low quality clothes, but then I I still don't have like a ton of clothes. So yeah, but I, I could still cut down, I think. So mm. I think the, the mindset comes from, you know, even though your closet is full, you always feel like you don't have enough clothes to wear. So mm-hmm. yeah, but I think for some people, like, um, I think fashion to some people means a lot to them. Like it carries their identity and all that. But for me, I don't think, I don't think my clothing has a particular like personality and it doesn't mean as much to me as to other people, I think. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, it's, it's the same for me, actually. Like, I'm not a prolific shopper myself, um, but I think that all of us generally try to keep up with existing trends, so I do try to. So I do have, like, an item or two for each trend, I would say. But just like you, um, I do shop more when I'm over here in the UK rather than Malaysia because... Over here, I have more like financial independence in the sense that I'm given uh, a sum of money that I'm allowed to spend over two or three months so I can actually really control uh, without my parents actually in any way um, interfering with how I spend that money. Um, Is fashion something that's important to me? Um, Not entirely, actually. I think that most people would say that I, I don't really care about my fashion sometimes, but I do try every now and then to get good things. Um, I'm now in self-isolation. Like this is filmed while I'm in self-isolation. I did do. I did buy like two things online while I was here. <laughs> and that's not something I often do. But yeah, when I first came to the UK, I didn't have that many clothes. But I think that the number of clothes that I have has increased in the past as I entered third year. Um, but what are my shopping habits like? It, it's not really prolific, like I said. But I do. I do get things every now and then. So, and I think that I can cut down. And I think this would be a problem because I have better out clothings in the UK. And if I leave the UK eventually, I don't know what's going to happen to those outfits because they don't suit Malaysian weather. So, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, if we talk about fast fashion, right? So, what, what does fast fashion mean to you? I mean, in the usual definition, like fast fashion is like just clearly inexpensive clothing that are produced at a massive scale and it responds to latest trends. I think that is how I view fast fashion as well. I mean, fast fashion are things that 
according to definition, it, it's basically like designs that move promptly from the catwalk to stores. So shops like ASOS, H&M, Uniqlo, Zara, and etc. I mean, these are the usual brands that we often get our things from. So that is how I view fast fashion. I think I get things from ASOS quite regularly in, in the UK, I guess, every couple of months. Um, I do shop at H&M, I do go to Uniqlo. So I think I've never really put much thought into what exactly fast fashion is, but I think the key point is that um, all of us actually um, engage with this idea of fast fashion even without realizing. So we might not necessarily understand what the definition of fast fashion is, but the fact that we shop at places like H&M, Uniqlo, ASOS, and so on, it means that we're actually um, engaging with like fast fashion as a subject matter, if you get what I mean. But yeah, I mean, cheap and trendy fashions like trends keep on changing every now and then, so we just end up buying more and more. I think, and I think that that's what fast fashion causes. What about you? Yeah, I think yeah, same. Like uh, I think from the documentary that I watched, um, uh, it's called the True Cost, like what you mentioned just mm-hmm. now. So they they name fast fashion as um a model built on careless production and endless mm-hmm. consumption. So I think it comes. I think the root of the problem is. Um, the mindset where people don't want to see you in the same clothing, even though clothing, clothing isn't like shirts. They aren't supposed to be disposable items. They're supposed to be items that you use over and over, right? But there, there certainly is the mindset where you cannot be seen in the same clothing too often. And I think maybe the the group of people that are most influenced by by this mindset are famous people maybe like okay so for example uh social media influencers right i think we touched on that on one of our previous episodes as well um Mm -hmm. basically they post pictures of themselves for a living and there's a stigma against um influencers who reuse their outfit even though Mm -hmm. it's a completely normal thing to do so but somehow people see it as like weird and i think it's because these uh, these public figures, right? They they are trying to portray a very lavish and like glam lifestyle. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I think once again it goes back to the question of when when you have uh, an amount of following, right? You should you should raise awareness about issues that matter. Like I think there was this influencer who actually posted something about how she she feels the pressure of of not posting pictures of the same of of her wearing the same shirt. But yeah, yeah. But basically, that is, I think, the root problem of, of fast fashion. So since you brought up the point of like celebrities, actually, let's talk about um, people we know, basically, the people around us, ordinary people. So I think it's actually very good to actually focus on why do people actually succumb to fast fashion, like ordinary people. I mean, first and foremost, it's cheap and affordable. Like some people would probably say that in Malaysia, for instance, like H&M and Uniqlo might not be the cheapest places where you can get um, clothing, like I mean, you can get cheaper things elsewhere. But in terms of like fast fashion, I think it's actually highly affordable, which is why a lot of people go there. And they constantly release um, new, new fashion, new fashion, like new outfits, basically. Uh, for example, I think that I, I don't know if this makes sense, but um, I think that we've actually moved towards a fashion like for guys, for example, right? Um, pants, for instance, um, they are moving towards like ankle ankle length pants oh yeah, yeah, yeah. pants that are actually like shorter and like slim fitting if you get what I mean and that's one like that is a fashion trend for example like 
there used to be a time in which people like always wear like slim fit or like skinny fit, for example, right? And then it moved towards like that, but then um, having like knee length, I mean, sorry, ankle length pants. And then now there's also another trend basically, which is that people are resorting back to wearing like loose pants. You get what I mean? Like, oh, really? I didn't know that. A lot of people get like loose pants now. Yeah, like mm. uh, loose jeans and all that. And a lot of girls do it as well. Um, so I think that that's actually just an example of how like the fashion trends keep on changing. Like somebody told me that basically you wear like fitting uh, out pants, for example, during winter because it's cold. But during summer, you wear like a loose one. Like I didn't know that. Somebody said it to me. So that <laughs> sense. So, yeah, this, but that's an example of how like we, we succumb to changes in the fashion industry because whenever these things change, you get one of those. Like for, that's the case for me as well. I have a couple of those outfits following trend. You know what I mean? Mm. And it actually leads us to the idea of like the constant feeling of never having enough clothes to wear, even though your closet is full. Like, I know a couple of friends who basically, their closet is like literally full, but they just keep on getting and getting again. And they don't, like what you mentioned about the celebrities, it's not just celebrities that do not uh, re-wear their clothes. You know what I mean? They do not wear back their clothes as regularly. I think a lot of people, including working people, I think, they don't wear back, uh, they don't wear the same things. Uh, working people especially for I think for a lot of like ladies for example maybe you would feel it I think they would, they actually feel pressured to not wear back the same things yeah. to a certain extent because if you keep on wearing back the same thing it looks bad on you in a sense that like you do not have a good fashion sense or perhaps you just don't have enough spend you get what I mean mm-hmm. and and like what you said I think social media actually entrenches that view especially people who are active on social media they don't want to wear back the same thing again because you would actually be able to realize like this might sound ridiculous, but even when I was in school, right, in secondary school, like, my friends and I can could tell that which, which teacher is wearing back the same outfit. We're just like, this teacher wear this shirt again on Monday. Like, we can tell, basically. You can tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clothes are that distinct. You can tell which teacher doesn't rotate her clothes and which teacher rotates it. You get what I mean? So, yeah. and yeah, like you mentioned, like, the need to ensure that we are up to date with the latest fashion. I think um, it's clear that social media influences actually to a certain extent entrench these views with their promoting promoting things and all that. So what is your take on this? Do you, do you know any anybody who sees the need to keep on like getting new things again and again? Yeah, I think this habit is actually really, really common like among mm-hmm. a lot of the people I know. So when we talk about this behavior of wanting to keep buying, right? I think for us as consumers, what we see we go into a shop and we see clothing and then we buy whatever we want. But the problem is we don't see the process that goes behind it. So I think that that is the, the main topic of our podcast today, mm-hmm. which is um, what problems does fast fashion actually cause and what is the story behind every item that we buy. Okay, so I think the first problem that we can touch on today um, is the outsourcing of the manufacturing of these clothings, right? So... Um, the U.S. previously, many, many years ago, they have been producing most of the clothing that we see. So I think up to 95%, but now it is as low as about 3%. So where is all this clothing being produced, right? So actually, these, uh, these garments are being produced in developing countries where the cost price is very, very low. So the, the problem of fast fashion is that the clothes are cheap. So the price of clothing is going down, but the cost of producing it is going up, right? Along with everything else, like inflation and all that. So the question is, where where is this hidden cost going? And 
that he, this Indian cause is actually going to cheap labor because these people they are mm. they are accumulated in factories and they are just working all day producing these clothes for us and they are paid very very low wages. I think it can go to as low as ten ten dollars per month, which is extremely mm-hmm. little. So we are exporting this manufacturing work to cheap places, regardless of their working conditions, to produce clothes for us that are cheap enough for us to throw away without thinking twice or without feeling guilty about it. I think that is the problem of the whole ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, so these, these factories uh, in these countries, they are so desperate from from business from all these big companies like you know H&M, Topshop and all that. They're so desperate yeah. for this business that they are competing with, with each other and pushing the prices lower and right. lower. So for example, like there's factory A, B, C. So factory A is producing it at like $5, for example. And then factory mm-hmm. B, they want to go even lower. So they so they produce it at, at $4. And then factory C says that, okay, I'm going to produce it at $3 because I want to be the cheapest. And the problem is that the workers are actually paying the price rate because they are uh, they are paying such low wages and yeah basically these factories they are cutting corners and disregarding safety yeah yeah i think a lot of people don't realize that um uh, there's a lot of um, i should say um abuse taking place um um behind what they're actually wearing you get what i mean because like you mentioned the point of like who is paying the hidden cost it's clearly workers in developing countries because um, and where do these companies actually go to when it comes to producing their their clothing and all that? They actually go for countries in the developing world, um, whereby workers have appalling work, work, workers' rights over there, uh, where unions are like weak and all that. Uh, basically, where the law simply allows these companies to exploit their workers. A lot of exploitation takes place, and their workers there basically just work in very harsh conditions, and they're severely underpaid, like you mentioned. And they go to these developing countries such as, I think, if you basically just look at the label of many of your clothing, right? Um, even in the UK, for example, if you go to like Primark, for example, if you get your clothes from Primark, for instance, um, if you look at the label at the back of your shirt, they actually tell you where the clothes are made. And the usual countries that they'll probably see is like Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, Myanmar, Vietnam, and all that. These are countries in which workers don't necessarily get um, workers' protection workers' rights and all that, and they are paid very, very little. But we need to emphasize this point, though. It is not... Some people will be very dismissive. They will basically say that, um, you know, if the workers are being paid so poorly, being paid so little in these developing countries such as Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, Myanmar, Vietnam, and all that, um, it's their choice to work there, right? Um, Why do they stay on there? But I think it's a lot of people who actually make this kind of assertion do not understand that do they actually have a choice uh, um, because um, work opportunities in those places could be low, and that is probably because of perhaps, say, for instance, things such as their social status, their uh, educational background, all that. These are probably the only places that they can work. So it's like a Hobson's choice, basically. It's either they work or they get nothing at all. But that is not a reason as to why they should be um, treated badly. But then let's talk about the factory workers. Then is it the f- uh, factory owners, for example? Like, is it the fault of the factory work owners that? Um, they are treating their workers poorly, definitely. But the thing is, why are they being let to do that? I think you have actually raised this point, and I'll just like to reiterate it, which is that um, it's basically they are forced to pay their workers this little because um, they, the workers basically work in a place called you can actually call it something. I think it's termed sweatshops, for example. So mm-hmm. 
um, in these sweatshops where these workers work in very harsh conditions, um, that their, their bosses, which is like the factory owners, are often um, working or having the business under the threat that production will be moved to other parts of the world where labor is cheaper. And this is why we see many new countries emerging as popular, popular manufacturing sites. So in the past, it used to be China that used to dominate um, manufacturing and production. But right now, we've seen many other developing countries rising up, which, such as um, um, Vietnam, um, Bangladesh, and all that. These are countries that have actually gone up in terms of production. Like many um, huge corporations, including the fashion in the fast fashion industry, have decided to move their productions over there because they can actually get it at a lower cost. So this, this, I think that um, this leads us to a lot of questions such as what can we actually do as consumers in order to um, change these things? Do you have any ideas on how we can actually change this then? I think because it is a whole ecosystem, right? So for us, we are consumers. So when there is a demand for all of these very, very cheap clothing, which there is currently, then when you mm -hmm. go back to the, to the process of manufacturing, then there will be a demand there as well. So mm -hmm. if we continue buying, basically, it will never stop. The cycle will never stop until we realize from our consumer end that we should stop supporting these kind of businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think it's not just, I think it's worth um, asserting that it's actually not just the fast fashion industry. So we are focusing specifically on the fast fashion industry because there are areas that we can touch on later on, which I will bring up with regard to labor, working conditions and all that. But I think most of the things that surround us, for example, are actually uh, produced in such harsh conditions. Um, a very good example would be iPhones, for example. Um, so when it comes to technology, for, for example, like this, there's this um, corporation called Foxconn in China, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's a Taiwanese company that's basically, um, that basically runs its operations in mainland China, I think. And they produce iPhones, basically. There have been so many cases that this was actually a problem a number of years ago, I think, in which many of their workers actually like committed suicide while they were working in, in, in Foxconn because basically they're paid very low, um, they're paid very low wages, and they're basically they don't have any freedom as they work. They're basically caged up in the factory, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. And they're paid so little that there's so much stress in them. So this is exploitation, basically. And it's not just um, Foxconn and iPhones, for example. I think uh, I was shown something about um, there's this, there's this. It's basically a shoe production company in the UK. I'm not really sure what is it called. A New Balance or something like that. If I'm not mistaken, um, I could be wrong. But basically, their workers are also paid in, work in very harsh working conditions. I've watched a documentary actually. It's an undercover video. It's basically this guy who pretended to be a worker. He registered to be a worker, but it's actually spying on working conditions over there so it was basically wearing a, a body camera and stuff like that um it, it's as hard as harsh as things like um for example the moment that they enter their workplace they're disallowed from using their phones for example um their toilet breaks are limited to a certain number of minutes um and you can actually see that the workers there are just so exhausted some of them are like dozing off at work and that is a sign of how they're being exploited you know um i think in a lot of these places, they actually live in squatters. Squatters, I'm not really sure what the word is, basically where workers live together and all that. So they, they have like a, a schedule, basically, of when they go to work and when they come out. So, so these are actually things that it happens all the time. And on your point of actually how this can change, like it's basically simple economics, right? Um, if we continue to demand for it, like you brought it up, then um, people will keep on producing. So a lot of people would actually ask, um, what can consumers do? 
what are our powers basically? Can we actually change um, what corporations like H&M or Uniqlo or whichever, um, how they actually produce their things? Well, actually we can in terms of that we can, if we cannot completely stop um, consuming these things such as fast fashion, we should actually um, limit it, for example, as a means to like pressure these companies to change it. In fact, I think some of these corporations will actually argue that um, they might argue that simply, for example, why is it? It's not really our fault. You know, we give the we give the grade that we want it to be produced, and it's up to the factory owners to decide whether or not they want to accept it or not. And I think that we have to change from the top as well. Perhaps these companies should actually not seek to um, produce their things at a very low cost. But the thing is. If we are to move towards this direction to increase like workers' rights and all that, um, increase uh, improve labor conditions and all that, our things will definitely cost more. And what do you think? Do you think that people will be cool with paying more? Actually, so this is a societal question. Then we can talk about how we want to change things. But do you think that society will be receptive to the idea that they will now have to pay more for their clothes, for example? Hmm. Okay, that's a tough question. So, if we're given a choice be- between like more expensive clothing and cheap one. Obviously, people will go for the cheap one, right? Which in mm-hmm. terms like supports fast fashion again. But mm-hmm. I think if the clothes of the price like increase altogether as a whole, I think we will just we will just realize that we don't need that much clothing. You know, if you don't want to look the mm-hmm. same, you just change the combination of your <laughs> of your clothes, like, you know. So yeah, I, I yeah. think it it goes back to the realization that we don't need to consume. This, this much clothing. Yeah, I think that's very right because a lot of us actually, uh, we can do a reality check. I think we can just open our cupboard and we see like what have we not worn for a very long time. We can find a lot of things that we don't wear. Yeah. So yeah. if, for example, I think that, yes, that's actually a good point that if prices increase, we would not want to buy it so much and then that would in, in, in part actually resolve the problem of basically over shopping and all that. But it's also worth noting, I think for our viewers over here, if they want to know like how harsh working conditions can be with regard to the fast fashion industry, I think they should be looking at. There's this incident in happened in Bangladesh, I think in 2012 or 2013. It's called like it's called I think the Rana Plaza collapse. I think that was talked mm. about in the um, in the documentary, documentary they're talking about yeah called um, basically called the true cost. Uh, we talked about how um, there's this building. I think this this plaza that was actually not meant to be an industrial facility, but it was converted to become an industrial facility. And then even when cracks were noticed in the building. The, the factory owner just plowed on with everyone working and eventually yeah. collapsed. And that actually opened that opened the eyes to the world of like basically the problems that exist in the fashion industry. But you know, if push comes to pull, you know, if, if people have to do something about it as far, like a radical step could even be to like boycott certain corporations that do these things, for example. But I think a boycott is actually probably a bit difficult because um, it's hard for us to actually step away from fast fashion, especially when we are so ingrained in that concept. But the point is that um, consumers wield a lot more power than we think. If we, so if we reduce our consumption or if we even just stop um, buying things from some companies that are basically simply just blatantly exploiting the workers, we can actually make a change over here. Yeah. So I think when we talk, when we bring the question back to exploitation of workers, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at it as a whole chain of manufacturing, so like previously we have only talked about the manufacturing part. But if you go further back, there's still many parts of, of the journey of like before before mm-hmm. you see a shirt in the shop, right? So maybe you can touch a bit on um the second huge problem of the of the fast fashion industry, which is the 
production of cotton. So basically, mm-hmm. agriculture. So because these crops uh, are seen as because the the consumption is so rapid, right? We are seeing this the soil and these plants as as they are treated as factories. They are not treated as like you know living things. So what they do is they produce GMO, so like gen- genetically modified organisms, mm-hmm. and they are re-engineered to to you know to keep up with the demands. And the thing is, what companies. Okay, so first of all, obviously there are ecological effects that nobody mm-hmm. really nobody really understands it fully. That's Correct. the problem. We just keep doing it and we don't actually know what's going to happen at the end, right? Okay. And when we do this as such a, a broad approach, like we are we are we are genetically modifying like so many crops, not just cotton, so many other other uh, types of crops as well. I think this can potentially be irreversible damage and. Okay, so what what companies do, right? They actually they they genetically modify these these seeds, these cotton seeds, and mm. with the promise that these seeds, these seeds, they, <laughs> they 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 apparently need less pesticides. So apparently, it produces mm. better quality cotton and all that. But the problem is, it doesn't deliver the promise. And the reason why they are they are modifying these seeds is so that they can actually control the production of these seeds. Basically, it's the monopoly of seeds, right? So they pay mm-hmm. the seeds so that when farmers want to buy the seeds, they have to go back to the company. And the problem is, these seeds are, are sold at such a high price and then the farmers are in huge debt. And mm-hmm. the I think where the problem doubles is that the seeds does not deliver the promise of controlling the pest. So in the end, okay. they are paying a higher price for these seeds and then they need more pesticides or the, at least the same amount of pesticides so the debt becomes like doubles and then the use of chem- the thing about use of chemicals with uh, living organisms right mm-hmm. is that there's a dependence dependence to it so once you start using it the usage will have to increase over time so basically if you have made these plants dependent on a certain type of pesticide after a while the the effects start to wear off and you just have to increase 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 the amount so i think the mm. the debt like again doubles and the problem of the use of chemicals it, it also causes like birth defects cancers and you know mental retardation so again mm. it goes back to to you know exploit exploitation of workers and then so the huge this is a huge problem right and the thing is the companies producing the GMO seeds, the companies producing the pesticides, and the companies producing the the, the medication for all these cancers, they are all mm. under the same company. So it just doubles. So for the companies, it's just like they are winning all the way, and the and the people, the farmers, they are being exploited, and basically they are they are losing all the way. So you mentioned just now about like suicide, right? I think so. It mm. happens in farms as well, where I think the statistics is one at least one farmer commits suicide every 30 minutes and how they come is like they drink the pesticide so it's just like it just benefits the company like over and Mm -hmm. over again yeah it's it's basically a cycle that needs to be broken in in terms of like say the fast fashion industry because like i mentioned earlier on which is that um the reason why workers are being paid so poorly the reason why um, factory owners are so uh kind of like technically forced or basically motivated to pay their workers in such um, abhorrent like rates like re- basically really low is because of the threat that basically um, if they do not subscribe to the rate that these big corporations want then 
um, their factories to basically be outsourced elsewhere. For example, I think we see this happening in a lot of places, like I mentioned earlier on, uh, that, uh, for instance, like um, in some ways, China is not perhaps not the most attractive place to actually um, produce things anymore for, for some corporations because as living standards increase, um, you know, um, workers' rights might increase and all that. It becomes harder to pay workers that low, so they end up moving elsewhere. And that's the case for what you mentioned about the GMO, basically. Like, um, the farmers are being actually forced to actually um, subscribe to those things, right? Basically, you were saying something like they buy the, they have to use those seeds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and if they don't use that seeds, basically, they ca- their, their crop will basically be of no use for like these industries, isn't it? So that was what you were saying, right? So there's actually a cycle that needs to be broken. I think that um, what needs to be done is basically, I mean, people would always argue that it's about choice, you know. The farmers don't necessarily have to subscribe to those things. Workers don't have to. But the key point is that do they actually have a choice? They need to survive themselves, right? And uh, a lot of these big corporations are making it very difficult for them. And I think that when people, when employees like workers, farmers and all start to when they are being forced to go through that drastic step, which is taking their own lives, for example, it actually shows how untenable the system is. And this is going to sound a bit harsh to say this, but as consumers, if we do not act, it's kind of like blood is also on our hands, if you know what I mean, that we are contributing to this problem to to go on. So this has to change. And if the top doesn't want to change, we at the bottom, we the consumers can actually force um, these corporations to change actually and I think that's the key point that we're trying to say over here so that the issue of cotton farming is actually very terrible like you mentioned but it's kind of like intertwined with like labor issues that we mentioned earlier on right so I think choice is a privilege right for us we are in a privileged position so we can say that oh you know if you don't want to subscribe to all this expectation why not you just change jobs but I think the Mm -hmm. thing is they don't have as many choices so for us here we can see all of the choices available for us for example we're living in the city we can we can live in in offices and all that uh, we can work in offices but for them i think the choices is very limited so i think what we can do to actually see what people over there are experiencing is by watching all of these documentaries right because they have they actually have visuals for you to actually visualize what's going on around there because for for us to to visualize how it is in for example bangladesh i think it's quite hard but then when we have visuals then we can actually see what's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the documentary is actually very good. For instance, the way I opened up my eyes towards the fast fashion industry, I was first exposed to it when I was like, when that Rana Plaza incident happened in Bangladesh, uh, when the factory collapsed and it was basically uh, simple simple negligence, basically. Like, um, it, it was avoidable. The, 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 if, um, for instance, if the factory owner really cared about um, his workers, um, the moment he realized that the structure of the building was no longer sound, he would have acted on it and take them out. And then it was realized that I think that they were working in very terrible con- uh, working conditions and all that. And yeah, like you said, a very good way to actually look at these things. If we actually are unsure about how um, we are contributing to this problem as consumers, even though we're not directly associated with it, even though our relationship with these workers are like indirect, watching documentaries is very good because... I, I can tell you for a fact, um, it was played in one of my lectures as well. It's actually just very nauseating watching these kind of things, watching mm-hmm. these kind of videos. Like you see the harsh working conditions that these people are. Like a lot of people probably think that uh, in the fast fashion industry, for example, it's just like your typical tailor just doing things. You know, 
um, having doing something that's very enjoyable. They like stitching and all that, so they just do it. But it's actually not. And you'd actually be surprised to see how um, we are contributing in this problem, like you're not myself included, and you, for example, if we keep on doing, if we keep on keeping up this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we can move on to uh, our third and possibly last problem, which is the problem of landfills, which is, I think, a problem that is closer to us um, mm-hmm. because it is at the, so it's after, after we have used these clothes and after we have disposed them. So the problem is, I think everyone knows that we have too much trash in this world, right? So yeah, I think it goes back to the problem of con- consumerism, where we we are changing clothes. So our mindset for clothes are changing to. So there are two types of things, right? So one type is the things that you use. So for example, like machines mm-hmm. or musical instruments. I, I don't know. Okay, that was random, yeah. but yeah. So by then, there, there's the, the second type where it's things that you use up, so like perishable, so like food and all that. So, um, yeah, so we are, the, the, how consumerism works is people are trying to look at things you use as things you use up. So, for example, clothes, right? They want you to see it as, oh, it's so cheap that you can use it once and you can throw it away and it's fine. You don't be guilty mm-hmm. about it because it's so cheap. It's not, it's not expensive, right? So, there's a problem with disposables. Because uh, textile waste, right, is non-biodegradable and mm-hmm. when they are left... You know, when, when they are left in landfills, they release harmful chemicals. And I think, so I think what people do to feel better for themselves, I think I do that, I do that as well. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we, if we have clothes that we, we rarely wear, we give them to charity to make, us, mm-hmm. to make ourselves feel better, right? Because of course it feels better <laughs> yeah. to give it to charity rather than to chuck it in the, the bin. But the problem is... Um, in actual fact, I think only a very small percentage of these clothes that we that we donate actually arrive in the hands of those who need it. And I think yeah. another thing that people do to make themselves feel better is they sell it as secondhand clothing, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, so I think uh, I think they call it thrift shopping. So that is seen as the that that's seen as the better better option for shopping. So yeah, you buy clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you buy clothes that are secondhand so that you don't, you know, you, you don't buy brand new clothes. But, okay, I mean, of course, that is a better option, obviously. But I think the problem with, with thrift shopping is that, again, it creates a demand for first-hand shopping as well. Because mm-hmm. if you know that you can sell it, sell it at secondhand, then you will be less hesitant to buy it firsthand. Because when yes. you want to buy something, you think that, okay, I shouldn't feel so guilty because I can sell it again. So I think, mm-hmm. again, it's not really solving the problem. Yeah, what do, you, what do you think? I would also like to add on the point of thrift shopping, you see. So thrift shopping can be seen as something that's good because of actually buying secondhand things. But there's another point that we need to consider, which is that actually how popular is thrift shopping. So a lot of people actually, I would believe, are cool with like doing thrift shopping and all that, buying secondhand things. But the point is that thrift shopping is probably not as popular as buying brand new things are, if you get what I mean. Because yeah. some people could be a bit consumed, uh, concerned by the fact that they're going to wear back a, a, an outfit worn by somebody that they've never known before, if you get what I mean. So yeah. I'm just going to concede that I'm one of those people. I've never bought anything from a thrift shop before. Yeah, because one of my concern is that I'm worried about, like I don't know who wore that outfit, basically. I don't know yeah. what, that shirt has gone through basically. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's unsubstantiated at times because it's, 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 it's definitely washed, it's cleaned and all that. It's well taken care of. It's definitely in good condition. That's why they actually end up on the shelves of thrift shops. But it is a perception, I guess, 
So the first point is how uh, popular is strip shopping? You know what I mean? People could like it, but a lot of people probably don't for the reasons that I probably raised, and I'm one of them. And the second thing is like how you mentioned how it actually increases demand for first-hand shopping. Definitely, the cycle doesn't stop, you see. In order for something to end up in a thrift shop, second-hand, third-hand, or whatever, um, it starts off as something new, you get what I mean? But I think that thrift, shop, thrift shops actually is a good way forward because it actually stops um, these clothings from actually going to base immediately, you get what I mean? So it is a good, it, it is a good start, I would say. And it actually really prevents these things from going to waste almost immediately. And I think another way in which people can actually um, not waste their clothes is basically that this is what my family does, uh, which is that um, when we buy a new, a new piece of clothing, right, we've worn it a couple of times and all that. And when we feel that you know, it's no longer nice, it's no longer in trend, or it's not as new as it looked anymore, we don't just dispose the shirt but we end up wearing it like at home. You get what I mean? Oh, yes. Yeah. You, you, you change like your t-shirts, basically. The t-shirts that you wear outside, you, you make it into home clothes. You get what I mean? So that you, you don't just straight away throw it away. So that actually allows you to actually um, use your clothes and all that until they're actually completely worn out because it is very bad that a lot of people actually dispose of clothes that they don't, that's even, that's still in good condition. Yeah. So we can we can talk about demand, right? So we, we mentioned mm-hmm. about uh trip shopping and all that. And I think the root problem is um our habit of of like constantly wanting to buy things. So um mm-hmm. I think this goes back to uh, to the topic of capitalism. So so I actually did the documentary mentioned this as well. Like when you see the word propaganda right we always imagine like very very extreme things like maybe like hitler or something but the problem is mm-hmm. we actually don't realize that it's actually everywhere because of advertisements like when we so basically advertisements they are brainwashing us that materialism right and buying things will make us happy so basically they tie the consumption of their products into a message that you will be satisfied once you buy this so for example maybe like um uh, a perfume ad so so a lady mm. will, will like spray some perfume and then they can see like a really good looking guy uh, attracted attracted to you or something and you'll be loved and appreciated because of this item or maybe like a H&M ad where where you know people a group of people are just wearing cl- these H&M clothes and they seem really happy with their friends at the beach mm. or maybe like uh, a BMW ad right so the message that that is trying to be is trying to be delivered to these consumers is that I you know I am an accomplished person if you have this car because basically when they show you a BMW car you you usually see like a guy in a suit with a, with a pretty girl next to you so basically mm-hmm. yeah so that that is the message right the the propaganda is consumption solves problems in your life yeah. The, these advertisements really contribute to uh, basically um, what we're discussing right now, which is overconsumption, because um, it, that is the main point for advertisements. Basically, it is it is it is an advertising tactic. To the purpose of advertising is basically a tactic to to get people to want to buy those things. Um, and as as humans, I think I, we all are very attracted to these kind of advertisements and all that, um, re- regardless of like gender and all that because when we see that something looks good on somebody else we we 
we want to believe that it would actually look good on us. And very often it does. And that is why we end up um, over-consuming. We end up buying these kind of things. And these are things that has to change. And I think that uh, some people, you know, um, for example, in the UK, for example, they're going towards a step in which in order to prevent people from eating too much junk food, for example, uh, the government is now going to ban like junk food commercials from a certain period of time, like from this hour to that hour, they're going to ban like junk food commercials because that is what, that is what commercials do. It makes people want to get that thing. So obviously it would be, it's, it's not, I think that it's, it's too far-fetched to actually ban commercials on clothing, for example, but it does, it is like a food for thought, basically. What can we do in order to limit um, the influence of advertisements, the limit of these kind of propaganda towards people because we are all clearly influenced by it. So it is a food for thought. Um, very frankly, I don't know how we're going to stop these advertisements from taking place. But I do think that uh, things can change in a way that, for example, in how things change that, there used to be a time in which um, when models are being selected for like clothes and all that, they are probably like the fittest model, the best looking model and all that. And there was a time in which they were like white, for example, mm. fair skinned and all that. But that has changed in which uh, many clothing companies and all that, and many other commercials or whatever, they are moving towards diversifying their ads, for example. They're including um, not, the, not the fittest people and all that, uh, mm. uh, introducing like plus size fashion and all that, advertising it including minorities and all that, that is a step that's being taken to change the nature of advertisements. I think that something can actually be done in order to change how the fast fashion advertises themselves in a way where um, they, they, they cannot, they don't influence people yet, but I don't know. It is something that could be worked on, but I'm not sure how. But it is like a food for thought in my opinion. Yeah, so if we look at companies' point of view, right? So obviously companies, if they want to earn more money, if they... Wait, if they can earn more money, they definitely will earn more money. So I think the problem can't be stopped from the company side. I think it should definitely stop from our end to the consumer side. Mm -hmm. Because yep. basically we are, we are driving the, the, the chain, mm -hmm. you know. We, we can pressure these companies to change if we, through little steps. The, 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 the outcome of it will not be immediate, but there would be some impact one way or the other. So yeah, so I think the overall message that we are, we are trying to you know, the takeaway message from this discussion today is I think we should just put more thought into not just the clothes, but everything we buy, right? Because usually our thought process into buying things is, you know, maybe the price, the, aesthetic, the aesthetics, the usability. But uh, we hope that this discussion today will encourage you to think deeper and think twice, you know, like question your consumption. Because each item, right, you see it as an item in the store, but the mm -hmm. question that you should ask because every item has a story right so the question that you should ask is what happened to it before it appeared on the shelf so did, did it affect um anyone's livelihood for example is it affecting the environment and also question what will happen to it after you use it how long you're going to use it and is it going to be around you know thousands of years after we die so yeah so i think we should just stop buying aimlessly mm -hmm. uh stop succumbing to all of these you know, ads because like, to be honest, like the things we buy doesn't give us any personality, right? So this applies to mm -hmm. clothes and everything else actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this, the simple, the simple point is basically only buy what you really need. Um, consider how you can actually reuse your items. And also I think most importantly, um, people, including ourselves should consider 
um, the livelihoods of the people um, who are producing our things and how we can actually help them. We cannot, we, we, won't, we won't be able to help them in very big ways as ordinary people, but the little things we do can actually make a difference. So yeah, so we have come to the end of today's discussion. Thank you for listening in and yeah, we'll see you next episode. Next episode. See you.